As the offering's being taken up, I know what you're thinking right now. What's he doing up there? I was... <laughs> you know, this audience participation sometimes can... And Pat has taken the steam out of the joke I was going to make when he's talking about how great our kids were this week. Because the answer was going to be that Pat served a term of what I would call seismic purgatory. <laughs> but when he talks about how great our teens were, that just sort of eliminates that. But the elders thought it would be a good thing to let him focus on that seismic retreat this past week and not have to be burdened with preparing for a sermon today. So you might say, I drew the short straw and will be pinch hitting for Pat this morning, although... As he has already indicated, he will be out in this dunk tank, and I will not be pinch-hitting out there. <laughs> I was baptized in January 6, 1963, and I don't need to go through another baptism in a dunk tank. So it might be fun, but it won't be me having that fun. So, <clears throat> Or you might just as easily say that you've drawn the short straw to have to listen to me this morning. So whichever it is. We're continuing our series this morning out of the New Testament book of 1 John, and this week we're looking at chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. <coughs> this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Verses 11 through 24. Now, did you notice a common theme in this passage? This passage seems to indicate that it's all about love. But really, what is love? I suggest to you that love is an overused, an underpracticed word. The word love is used so much and in so many ways that it has become trite 
and has, for the most part, lost its meaning. For example, look at how many songs use the word love in the title. Now, when I give examples here, I confess that I am limiting my examples and references here to songs from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I stopped listening to popular music after the 80s because that was the end of musical talent as far as I'm concerned. When Lawrence Welk died, it was all over. But we have things like from Jackie to Shannon. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. And actually, I'm going to have to confess, Jackie came pretty close to what we're talking about this morning. Elvis Presley came out with, can't help falling in love with you. Now, you and the older, you older segment, you're starting to hear those songs come into your head, aren't you? Then you had the Beatles come out with All You Need Is Love, and then Diana Ross and Lionel Richie came out with Endless Love, and of course, the Supremes, Baby Love, and Elvis Presley again, Love Me Tender, and Stevie Wonder, I Just Called to Say I Love You, and Captain and Tennille, Love Will Keep Us Together, and the Bee Gees, How Deep Is Your Love, and again, the Beatles, Can't Buy Me Love, and again, the Supremes, You Can't Hurry Love. Love, love, love. We love french fries. We love pizza. We love Corvettes, although I've only had french fries and pizza. It's love, 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 love. But really, what is love? And what does John mean when he says that we should love one another? I think it's helpful to bear in mind that the Koine Greek and koinane simply means common. The common Greek from which our New Testament is translated had several different words that got translated into the English by the word love. But there are some distinctions to be made between those words. For example, one Greek word is agape. And agape is not a feeling or an emotion. It is a force that is manifested in action. Another Greek word used in the New Testament that is translated love is the word phileo. And phileo means affection. It is lesser in depth than agape. And a third Greek word that is translated as love in the New Testament is the word storge. And storge is simply talking about familial love. Now, there are other Greek words that get translated into English as love. One is the word eros from which we derive the word erotic. And to the disappointment of many of you, that Greek word does not show up anywhere in the New Testament. And consequently, I will not be giving my insights on the subject this morning. <laughs> but to illustrate how we can sometimes miss what was being said in the original Greek, I would point you to a passage that Pat has already referenced in a previous lesson in this series, and that's found in John's Gospel, the same John that wrote the letter we're looking at now, chapter 21 and verses 15 through 17. And this is at the end of Jesus' sojourn on earth. He's already been raised from the dead. And he's talking to Simon Peter and questioning him after his resurrection. Now, remember Simon Peter. Simon Peter at one time, when Jesus said that, you know, you guys, all of you are going to deny me at a future point. And Simon Peter, being the 
rambunctious type stood up and he said, no, I won't deny you. I'll even die with you if I must. And then you remember that when Jesus, during his trial, looked back, he saw Simon after he had denied him three times. But after his resurrection, Jesus comes uh, among the apostles, and he speaks directly to Simon Peter, beginning with verse 17. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And what he's saying here is, do you agapao me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. But what Peter says is, I phileo you. You see what happened there? Peter toned it down a little bit. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love? Do you agapao me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, phileo you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time Jesus used the word phileo. And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I think it's somewhat telling that in a little over 40 days after that conversation, it will be Peter who gets up before a crowd in Jerusalem and passionately proclaims Jesus as the promised Messiah. And so passionate and bold is his statement in that occasion that more than 3,000 will do what we just witnessed this morning, that will be baptized as believers in the Messiah, Jesus. And maybe Peter used some of that 40 days to reflect on the difference between agape and phileo. Now, why do I make this point from the Greek to the English translation? It is because in 1 John 3, verse 11, it is the word agape that John uses when he says, we should love one another. Again, not just an emotion, but it's an action. We should love one another. He says that this message was from the beginning. This is what distinguishes Christianity from all other movements, both religious and sectarian. The world would be conquered by a movement that wasn't based on military or political power, but on something that was supposed to be part of God's creation from the beginning, love for others. When Christians, so-called, have resorted to force to spread their religion, it has had disastrous results and discredited the faith. You probably have a faint memory of a world history class that you sat in. You probably doodled and didn't pay much attention. But if you sat in a world history class, you may have covered a subject called the Crusades. And the Crusades were a series of military campaigns organized by popes and Christian Western powers to take Jerusalem and the Holy Land back from the Muslim control and then defend those gains. And there were eight major official crusades between the years 1095 A.D. and 1270, as well as many more unofficial ones. This involved emperors, kings, and Europe's nobility, as well as thousands of knights and more humble warriors. And we've romanticized this in many ways. But the crusades, crusades had tremendous consequences for all involved. And the effects, besides the obvious death, and ruined lives and destruction and wasted resources ranged from the collapse of the Byzantine Empire to a souring of relations and intolerance 
between religions and peoples in the East and West. And it still blights governments and societies to the very present day. God did not want his people spreading his kingdom through military power. It was through this thing that John calls love. And all of this points back to the original admonition to Christians. Love one another. Then John talks about the earthly issue of hate and its results. He talks about the brothers Cain and Abel and both offered sacrifices to God. Now, Cain's sacrifice was a vegan sacrifice because that's Cain. He was a vegan. And if you've dealt with vegans, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and the other was an animal sacrifice, which was apparently what uh, God had required. And when Abel's sacrifice was approved and accepted, but Cain's rejected, envy and hatred took over Cain's heart, and he committed the first recorded murder. And John uses the Old Testament story to underscore his statement to love one another and not hate a brother or sister. This is one of the reasons that love is so remarkable in this world. The world has become a place where enmity and hatred abound. Everywhere we look around us, we see the seeds of hatred being sown and dividing humanity. And I will put forth this morning that the internet has not helped that. 24-7 news cycles has not helped that. And humanity was to be the crowning achievement of God's creation. So let me make a few observations as an old man about this. First of all, we are not born with hatred or enmity. There is a theological theory that man is born with sin, that is, inheriting Adam's sin, as if it passed through the DNA. But I submit that this teaching and theory is bovine dung. <laughs> On the screen, you see a sweet, innocent-looking child who, at the time of the taking of that photograph, did not harbor a single iota of hatred or animosity. Now, it didn't stay that way. I know because I know this guy pretty well. But in the beginning, he was totally innocent. This morning, as I was coming in this morning, a little, I'm guessing he's about three years old, ran up to me, and he put his arms around me and hugged me. And I thought, oh, if we could hang on to that innocence. And this guy here kept his innocence for a few years. But then, and now I know I'm writing him out, that innocence was chipped away. And he began to learn how to dislike and maybe even hate. But my point is that I could show any of your pictures up here that was taken at that stage in life. Probably not as cute as, or adorable, but <laughs> still we would see you before you learned the behaviors of envy, disaffection, and even hate at times. As I said, I love going back and seeing our little babies here because I know I'm looking at what God created for us to be in that beautiful innocence. And I'm very sorrowful to watch that innocence eroded as life progresses. I'm encouraged by the report that Pat gave about some of our teenagers serving others and being selfless and seeing some of our young people committing to a faith, a lifetime of faith in Christ. But my point here is that hate and enmity are learned emotions and behaviors. We're not born with it. 
And John says in this passage that if we hate a brother or sister, we're no better than Cain. And so we look to our master teacher about the kind of behavior that he wanted his kingdom to be built upon and expanded upon. Jesus was observed by his disciples during his three-year earthly ministry, loving those that society said he should hate. Tax collectors are not looked on today with any kind of admiration or appreciation. Well, one was, but other than that one. <laughs> but in Jesus' day, tax collectors in Judea were men who were Jews who collected revenues for an occupying government of Rome. And they were despised. So in a very real sense, they were traitors to their homeland. And yet, while not commending them for being turncoats, Jesus, in his interactions with them, was gracious to them and ate with them and treated them as friends. As a matter of fact, his own critics, who were religious leaders, accused him of eating with tax collectors and sinners. Oh, the scandal. But Jesus was teaching his disciples what it means to love one another. We tend to think about somehow we invented the concept of racial animosity in this country since its founding, but that's not true. There was racism in Jesus' day and the society where he ministered. We read in the New Testament of Samaritans and the origins of the Samaritans who had ties to Judaism occurred when the Assyrians conquered major portions of Israel and carried much of the population away into Assyria. But they took the nobility, they took the craftsmen, they took those who were valuable to them, and they left behind the less noble and the less gifted. And eventually, during their occupation by the Assyrians, there was intermarriage with the Assyrians. And so by Jesus' day, the Samaritan people were viewed, for lack of a better term, as half-breed Jews and lesser people. And yet we read in John 4 of a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman, which is two social faux pas that Jesus committed, speaking first of all with a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. And in his conversation with her, he says, go call your husband and come back. And she replies that she has no husband. And Jesus tells her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the dude you're shacking up, um, well, that was my translation, <laughs> And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, Jesus didn't say that to insult her. He said that to establish a relationship with her, that he knew her life, and yet here this Jewish rabbi was sitting down and having a conversation with this Samaritan woman. And so to this, the woman, to this Samaritan woman, Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah. And she became a believer and brought other Samaritans to faith in Jesus. So social status, racial divisions, obvious in her life did not keep Jesus from loving her and revealing a truth that many others were still waiting to discover. And Jesus' society said to look down on her and hold her as inferior. But Jesus loved her instead. Our society tries to divide us on many lines. There are check boxes that we are asked to check about certain qualities or certain things that identify us. But we become identified by those check boxes. But God doesn't give those to us. And I know 
that our society tries to divide us, not only along many lines, but racials being one of them. And I know this is a very sensitive subject, but hear me out before making judgment about what I'm about to say. It is absolutely ridiculous to catalog each other based on the amount of melanin that we have. Everyone has melanin. Our unique skin tones aren't a matter of having melanin or not, but as a result of the amount, the type, size, and distribution of melanin, our bodies are genetically predisposed to produce. I have no say in my color, just as you have no say in your color. Melanin is created by cells called melanocytes, of which we all have a similar amount. What I'm trying to say is, well, let me illustrate it this way. I'm going back to a time almost 50 years ago, maybe a little more than that, when I was in college, and I heard a man get up and he say, there are no white people. And I sat there as what I thought was a white person. I thought to myself, what are you saying? And so he held up a piece of paper like this. And he says, I'm white, but if you put me up there as pale as I am, subject to sunburn, because I have Irish heritage, but I'm not white, I'm just a different shade of brown. And he says, if you were to get the darkest man that we refer to as black, and hold this up, and if you put their hand there, they're not black, they're just a different shade of brown. We sing that children's song, Jesus, all his little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. You know, that's a sweet song, but the fact of the matter is that our Asian friends aren't yellow, they're just a different shade of brown. And if we are to have any, what we call Native Americans here, they're not red, they're just a different shade of brown. It's just a matter of melanin distribution. So the amount of melanin that we have in our bodies is inconsequential as to who we are and who we should love. We should quit labeling each other this way because it only foments a division that carried to extremes tops, stops us from loving each other as John is calling us to do in this passage. In this room right now, there are no white people. And in this room right now, there are no black people. We're all just a different shade of brown made in the image of God. And we must love each other no matter what the political opinion they have is held. We don't have time this morning to go through an exhaustive list of the number of categories which our enemy is using to try to divide us and cause us to hate one another. But I can hardly attest to the fact that Satan has hacked the internet to sow division seeds, uh, divisive seeds of enmity. And another important point that John makes about love is found in verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Remember, agape love is an active love, not just some emotion or warm, fuzzy feeling. Love is translated into action, and he illustrates it with the active love that Jesus showed in giving his life for us. And he tells us how to show the same kind of active love with our material possessions in, in verse 17. So John sums it all up very simply 
in verse 23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. That's it. So simple, and yet so very needed, and so very unpracticed. So let me close with this admonition. Don't just be a phileo Christian. Be an agape Christian. Will you please bow with me? Holy God, our Father in heaven, we thank you, dear Father, for all that you've given us. And Father, I thank you for this people here. That we're all different in so many different ways, Father, but at the same time, we are all endowed with that soul that you created in the beginning. And you have commanded us to love one another. And I pray, Father, that we will look for ways to love one another, to be active in that love with each other, and that that bond of love will overcome all of the kinds of seeds that the enemy has tried to sow into our lives. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for our brothers and sisters. And in the name of our common Savior, Messiah Jesus, we pray. Amen.